0: Hi, everybody, and welcome back on the Macro Compass. Last call, there are only 53 spots left to secure your heavily discounted price for the Macro Compass bond market course. There is an exclusive offer for you, as a reminder, using the coupon code BOND500 at checkout, you can claim a chunky 25% off there are not so many spots left so be quick and take advantage of it before it sells out because you can watch the course and download the material anytime you want after purchasing it with the discount but the offer won't be there forever so go on uh, the article click on the button by now if you want more information visit the dedicated page which is also mentioned in the article now back to it today we're going to be talking about the key macro charts to watch Europe, Japan, and the US are at crossroads. I'm asking myself whether this is calm before the macro storm in markets. Let's start from Europe. The ECB hiked interest rates to 4%, and I think they made a policy mistake. Lagarde keeps throwing fuel on the fire, as the European economy is already feeling the tightening much harder and faster than the US. But why is that the case? The first chart in the article shows European 10-year triple-B rated corporate borrowing costs. And you can see in the chart they have skyrocketed. That is a function of the ECB tightening, but the thing to notice here is that the European private sector enjoyed amazingly cheap borrowing rates for so long. And therefore, the change of tune is felt much harder, much faster. If we look at the chart, we can see that the European triple-B rated 10-year corporate borrowing cost from 2013 to today was actually quite low. The average from 2013 to 2020 2023, including the ECB tightening, is only 1.69%. If you focus on the pre-pandemic period, from 2016 to 2019, the average borrowing rate for 10 years for a triple B corporate in Europe was only 1.35%. Today, life is much harder. Borrowing costs have almost tripled to 4.20%. And most importantly, they've been sitting at these very tight levels for almost 12 months now. That is a serious tightening of borrowing conditions, which is biting into the European economy pretty hard. And yet, the ECB keeps hiking and it also ignores another macro beast, which is threatening Europe much more seriously than the US, refinancing cliffs. The second chart in the article shows the percentage of corporate loans and bonds that are maturing per each calendar year per different jurisdictions. As corporates spread out their borrowing over time, refinancing needs are not all clustered together. On average, companies have to refinance about 10-15% of their entire borrowing needs each year. That's the red line you can see on the chart. But as you can also see, Europe, which is that blue vertical line, faces a tough task next year. European companies will need to refinance 25% of their borrowing needs all in 2024, and they will have to do it at borrowing rates much higher than what they're used to, as we just discussed. As the refinancing cliffs approach fast in Europe, companies have to take hard decisions, stay away from leverage and shrink their business altogether, or cut structural costs like labor to try and maintain a viable business despite higher borrowing rates. The ECB just hiked in the face of an already weak economy facing sizable refinancing cliffs in 2024. I think Lagarde just made a policy mistake. Let's move now to Japan. In a recent interview, Bank of Japan Governor Ueda signaled the era of negative interest rates in Japan might soon be over, and as a result, immediately, currencies and bond markets were on the move. But why does Japan matter so much for global bond markets? Japanese investors are amongst the biggest capital exporters in the world, and have become gigantic buyers of U.S. treasuries European fixed income and other foreign bond markets as domestic yields have been depressed for so long and Japan kept accumulating savings and foreign reserves it looked for ways to invest these abroad to generate some higher returns and for reference Japan now owns over 1 trillion of US treasuries and some 4 to 500 billion in various European bonds mostly French and German so they've become big big buyers of foreign bonds And now that domestic yields in Japan might be on the rise, the question is, will they stop investing in foreign bonds altogether? Now, have a look at the third chart in the article, because here is the thing. They have already done that. The Japanese support for global bond markets has been fading for quarters already. But wait a second. If Japanese bond yields have just now started to rise, why did Japanese investors stop investing in foreign bonds altogether for quarters now? You see, that's because when Japanese investors buy foreign bonds, they must swap existing Japanese yen for dollars or euros with which they're going to buy those foreign bonds. That means they would run an FX risk, which is often what they don't want. From my personal experience, speaking to Japanese investors in my previous job, they hedge the FX risk between 3 and 12 months which is considered for them a large enough period of time to assess the risk return of their bond investments after hedging the foreign exchange risk. And the third chart in the article shows exactly what a Japanese investor sees when looking at investing in 10-year US treasuries after the cost for hedging dollar Japanese yen for the next 12 months. So that's the cleanest look for a Japanese investor that is looking to buy treasuries but hedge their foreign exchange risk for 12 months. And for Japanese investors today, and for five quarters now, U.S. treasuries are extremely expensive to own because the FX hedging costs are super high due to the Fed rate hiking cycle versus no Bank of Japan hikes, while curves are inverted, and hence the benefit of investing in foreign 10-year bonds is actually dramatically reduced. U.S. treasuries right now and for five quarters already have been the most expensive in decades for Japanese investors which have decided to stay away from the market. The next Bank of Japan action which happens next week will be crucial to determine whether this trend continues. The third point is on the United States and on Powell. We also have a Federal Reserve meeting coming next week. The question is, is Powell done with hiking or not? And U.S. inflation surprisingly accelerated in August. So the question is, what does that mean for the Fed? Well, let's follow the framework that the Fed uses to analyze inflation. The Fed splits core inflation into goods inflation, housing inflation, and services ex-housing inflation these inflationary forces are notoriously at play for goods. There is an overhang in inventories, see the car industry, the supply chains are completely healed. All of that points to a continued moderation in core goods prices. This is also reflected in stuff like the Adobe Price Index, which is measuring the online digital good prices and it just hit a 40 month low. Okay, so for goods inflation, the disinflationary trend looks pretty solid and the Fed can um, you know, feel relatively happy about it. What about housing inflation? Housing inflation represents a large share of the core CPI basket and the Fed got some quite good news as well in the August report. Rent of shelter keeps decelerating sequentially because it just lags what is happening to rent inflation on the ground. The Zillow rent growth series has dropped materially And housing inflation captured in the CPI statistics is just following suit the Zillow rent with a bit of a lag. The pace of deceleration is great news for the Fed. The three-month annualized housing inflation rate is now down to 4.6%, from a peak of almost 10% at the beginning of the year and it should continue to slow down going forward given the lags in the measurement i just discussed so that's good news for powell as well but what about powell's preferred measure of sticky inflation that is core services x housing that's supposed to be the stickiest output gap related labor market related part of the cpi basket which powell watches the most closely in august We got a 0.4% month-on-month print, which was stronger than expected. But the chart that you can see in the article, the fourth one and the last one, allows us to take a step back and look at the trend rather than just a monthly print in sticky inflation. The six-month annualized rate of change hit a new low in this cycle at 2.7%, down from over 5% at the beginning of the year. So, sticky inflation seems to be getting under control, too, and all in all, the Fed seems to be done with hiking, but markets are starting to challenge a bit this assumption. Higher oil prices, some pressure building in bond markets, and a solid monthly print now in core services ex-housing all bring some questions to the table, which, again, is the key core of this piece, showing you the data and the key macro charts to watch to understand whether the calm that we have experienced for the last four to six weeks in market is just the proverbial calm before the macro storm. Last reminder, guys, there are only 53 spots left to secure your heavily discounted price for the TMC bond market course. So go at the end or at the beginning of the article, you'll see the coupon code to use to get a chunky 25% off at discount. Go there, Visit the dedicated page if you need more information. And as always, I'll be here updating you again on the Macro Compass.